0: It's your time to ed up with America's leading higher education podcast network, the EdUp experience where we make education your business. This is ed-up legal with your host, Patty Roberts. She's Dean at St. Mary's school of law, and she's going to be leading conversations about legal education in today's world. Now let's hear from your host, Patty Roberts.
1: Welcome to EdUp Legal. This is Patty Roberts from St. Mary's University School of Law. And today I'm speaking with Neil Fulton, who is the Dean at the University of South Dakota School of Law, a position he has held since spring of 2019. It's great to have you here, Dean Fulton.
0: It's great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity, Dean Roberts.
1: Absolutely. I'd love for you to tell our listeners about your path to the deanship. Um, I know that you served as a federal public defender for North Dakota and South Dakota, um, and uh, that's an important position, a critical role, and what made you seek the deanship and how has that informed your position as leader of a law school?
0: You know what made me seek it is, I am a South Dakota kid and two of my greatest passions are South Dakota and the law and those really come together at this law school we're a state flagship law school in a small state. And so it's a school that really has a disproportionate impact on the state if you look back at our history. Governors judges Supreme Court justices business leaders who come from this school, uh, I was really motivated to be a part of South Dakota's future that is going to run through the law school and so. Um, I had never been an academic. I had been in private practice. I'd been chief of staff to our governor. I'd been federal public defender, which is not the ordinary path to the academy, but was really kind of a unique set of experiences and connections for this deanship. Uh, And so I was really excited to come down and try and be part of the future of legal ed in South Dakota.
1: Well, and I'm sure those connections have been very helpful to the law school, I would imagine.
0: They are, yeah. I mean, uh, one thing about South Dakota is everyone does know everyone. Uh, Friends of mine from college and law school, I went to law school in Minnesota, I I got away for a little while, are always surprised when uh, it is not six degrees of separation, it's about one degree. Uh, And so that has been really helpful for our relationships with state government, with business and industry, that I know a lot of folks in a lot of different settings. So the challenge for me was really getting to know our faculty and and getting to know the Academy. I sort of brought my external Rolodex, which maybe is a different challenge than sometimes Dean's face.
1: And how has the transition gone to meeting your own faculty and getting to know your students, particularly because we share pandemic deaning, right? But you were a Dean at least a year before the well, no, not even eight months before the pandemic hit. How has that been?
0: Yeah, I, I've told my wife several times that I don't know how to dean on Tuesday because, you know, just the average Tuesday is foreign to me. My first year was ABA site visit, and then second semester was uh, COVID. Once we've okay. kind of gotten back to some normal, I really just don't know what to do with myself. But um Faculty were really welcoming. You know, I was fortunate to know some folks in higher ed, not in a law school setting that I'd worked with, who gave great advice about how to approach the faculty, um, how to be humble in my engagement, and really talk to them to learn about how to approach it. Uh, I had to go through the tenure process, which was, I think, a really good opportunity for me to show good faith to go in and teach and to write um, with the faculty a surprise for me is I really enjoyed legal writing, you know I had written a lot as a practitioner, I had never had the opportunity to write what I wanted to write, and so the challenge of really identifying the question uh, is daunting but fun, and so I've found that to be rewarding and I think I've continued to write and faculty has respected that, and we're a really small faculty that has a real strong tradition of collegiality and so you know, if if I met them on, on their terms and engaged, that was really well received because it's what they know. And so engagement with faculty has been great.
1: That's terrific. So what did you decide on for the question? What are you researching and writing about?
0: So you know, the very first couple of things I wrote were things I knew. I wrote a, a piece for our South Dakota Law Review about a really well-regarded South Dakota pre- Supreme Court justice who'd been a friend who died unexpectedly. Um That was important for me to do just personally. And I think just kind of an important uh, comment for this law school in the history of our state. And then the first really substantive piece I wrote was about the um, United States sentencing guidelines and their application into Indian country. Uh, As federal defender, I had been on a sentencing commission working group on Indian country issues. And so had some front row seat for that. And those were issues I dealt with all the time. Uh, So that was the very first piece I, I did growing out of my time as federal defender.
1: Well, that's certainly important work how or what percentage of south dakota uh, is indian reservation
0: uh you know in terms of population it's it's single digits as as a part of the population the the geographic space would be close to 10 percent we've got pretty large geographic areas covered uh by indian country um there are nine indian reservations in south dakota in whole or part And so really everyone in South Dakota is going to work with somebody from, or living in Indian country at some point, particularly lawyers. Um, That's a unique part about our legal education here. We really do try and push uh, Indian country knowledge forward to students. And we actually require on the South Dakota bar exam students to do an essay on Indian law, which is unique.
1: I love that. I had not, I wasn't aware of that. Um, And what are the... uh what do you find as someone who's been involved in Indian country issues uh, and your legal system just um, working through the issues for um, the Native Americans, what do you find is are the primary challenges they are facing, at least in South Dakota?
0: You know, one thing that's unique to Indian country in South Dakota and, and a lot of the plain states is just some of the issues that face rural legal services delivery in general. You have big geographic spaces to, to cover. You have a lot of folks that are in really rural areas. Um, you have roads that are hard to pass when it's wintertime. There's lots of snow. It's tough to get to the courthouse or get your lawyer to you. That's one. Um, I think two, Particularly on the criminal justice side, um, it was always a challenge that this is a justice system very much imposed on Indian country. Uh, For all of us, I think there's engagement in our community in the criminal justice system. Um, Most federal criminal or most Indian country criminal justice is coming through the federal courts, and the opportunity to participate in that for folks in Indian country is pretty challenging. And so I think there's a degree of disconnect and isolation that comes there for folks um, that is a real challenge and you know I think the last thing is just there's a significant amount of crime in Indian country in a lot of instances so so people just uh, dealing with disruption of family members who have been the victim of or who have been the perpetrators of crime or taken out of their communities for a long time really has a disrupting impact on Indian country communities.
1: So you mentioned the rural challenges um, that they have in Indian country, but certainly that's, those are challenges that many of the people in your state face. Being a state school in a rural state, um, how does the legal education differ, if at all?
0: I mean, I hope we differ in a few ways. I mean, one of them is that we really try and structure our curriculum to produce fundamentally sound generalists. You know, we want folks, I think like all of us do in legal education, but we really do try and hone in on having people who have a broad base of legal knowledge and it's kind of unified by key uh, skills. Most of our graduates are going to go out and practice. Uh, That's a great thing that makes it easy to build curriculum. The challenge is some of them are going to go practice in Sioux Falls, our largest metro, uh, which has national firm presence and has for us big firms doing really complicated transactional and litigation work. And then some folks are gonna be sole practitioners and state's attorneys in towns of 1500 and less. So we cover a pretty broad gamut within that range of trying to have fundamentally sound generalists. I think because we're so connected, there's a great tradition of faculty engagement with students and mentorship of students. Um, We're really in a generational faculty turnover right now. Uh, there are faculty members who whole swaths of lawyers, my generation and younger, will talk about on a first name basis. Uh, and so that impact with faculty and then their focus on teaching as a result, I think is a really different thing for us because they know that mentorship pays off quickly because our lawyers get into leadership positions really early in their career.
1: That's outstanding. Um, we have some similar relationships with our faculty because we have faculty who've been here two three four one even five decades and you know the alums are always talking about hey i remember when this happened i'm like yep he's still there you know (laughs) yeah so so that's really uh, been a joy now because you're a a small um, school in a rural state are you utilizing or had you been utilizing online education before the pandemic? Um, and if so, how are you doing that? And if not, do you think some of that will stay post-pandemic?
0: Yeah, we pre-pandemic had done almost none. We were offering a few courses that we didn't have available through iLaw. We have stopped doing that. Um, We had one uh, person from Montana who teaches a tribal gaming class that did online just because we couldn't get her here. Um, COVID really was an interesting opportunity for all of us to wrestle with legal ed. Here at USD, uh, it really drove home that the strong preference with faculty and students is not to do uh, online delivery. We are a small school and so for us that deep personal connection um being one-on-one small class sizes i think faculty and students really realize okay that's what we love about usd that's what makes us unique compared to a lot of schools and moving towards more online legal ed just really doesn't fit with that now having said that um we're a geographically sparse state and we're a state with some weather and so i think we've really wrestled with okay During those times where we have some commuter students or where we have weather and it just makes it challenging, we're going to use that one third of classes that everyone can use online to accommodate some of those issues. So I think think a lot of faculty and students see it as a tool, but I really just don't see us moving towards a lot more online delivery because we've really identified that that's not our core identity.
1: So tell me a little bit more about your student body. Where do they come from? What's the size? What's the the general makeup of of your
0: student body? So historically our average class size over the last quarter century has been 72. Um, We've fluctuated a little bit. Uh, We have two classes of right at 80 in our 3L and 1L class. And that would be my target numbers 80 to 85 if we could recruit that every year. Where have they come from? Historically, it's been about 75% South Dakota, the other 25 from across the United States. We've got graduates in all 50, but mostly states that touch South Dakota or are within a reasonable drive of South Dakota. Big shift this past year in that we were 50-50 in-state, out-of-state. We made a change to our tuition structure to offer in-state tuition to students at 150 LSAT and above we'd had a lot of students in that band but we hadn't yielded many well we got 20 this year Uh, we suddenly were really affordable we're the second lowest debt load in the country behind byu so um, we really saw a lot of students who were willing to come and a lot of those were students who were at smaller undergrad institutions maybe in bigger states where if they stayed they were going to go to a bigger school and we were very appealing because we were affordable We're a small community and that made sense to them so uh, i'll be curious to see as we start recruiting the class of 2025 if we stay close to that 50 50 balance but our balance has really been um, south dakota kids or rural area kids in a lot of instances who want a smaller connected community Uh, we were slightly majority women this year Um, that's good we've we've been a little bit behind on that in some other years but we've been trending up and we were majority women this year and we had what for us is our most racially diverse uh, class ever, but that is still a challenge for us. South Dakota is not an incredibly racially diverse state itself, although in Sioux Falls and some of our other bigger states we are pretty racially diverse, but that's a real focus area for us to continue to build a community that's welcoming and inclusive to, to draw more racially diverse students in.
1: Well, it sounds like you're off to a, a good start with that. and. Um, I'm glad to hear about the majority of women. I was surprised to find we have been majority women uh, in our incoming classes since 2018. So that's exciting. When I was at my own law school, William and Mary, I remember very vividly on the very first day of our orientation that that was the first year we were majority women. Women, and I was so proud of that fact.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, my my law school class was um, majority women my first year. It was very close. We we oscillated back and forth. And uh, my first boss, actually, uh, my first, my clerkship after law school was with a female judge. And so uh, I'm glad that we're making progress on that front.
1: Yes, absolutely. But much progress to be done everywhere um, in, or to be made everywhere in racially diversifying the profession and our, our student populations. So tell me about some things that are exciting to you about the future of USD? What sorts of things um, can we look for in the coming years?
0: I mean, I think a few things. One, I mentioned generational turnover of faculty. Uh, We have this cohort of faculty who kind of came in together and now we've got their successors coming in together and they're really thinking about our identity as a school and that's fun to watch and participate in. I think we are really working to focus on skills we implemented a first year experiential requirement this year for the first time so all of our 1Ls as they take crim law are also taking a uh, criminal law practicum simultaneously and we have an alumna who's come back to lead that who was a special assistant U.S. attorney in South Dakota and drug prosecutor So she is calling in all of her connections to expose students to law enforcement, investigation, criminal drafting. And I think that's significant. We wanna really focus on skills in the upper level by continuing to expand our experiential offerings. And we have some pretty fun, um, unique opportunities. I lobbied a lot when I was in practice. And so we have a legislative externship uh, associated with our um, South Dakota legislative session in January and February. The South Dakota Supreme Court hosts externs in both the fall and spring for students who want to have an exposure to four of our five uh, justices on the Supreme Court. They kind of look in the fall at students who maybe have other clerkship opportunities. um, And in the spring, they'll take two Ls who they're kind of test driving for clerkships. We've had a pretty good yield so far of those externs actually turning into full-time clerkships. And we just implemented a new requirement that, for our incoming 1L class next year, they'll have to take legal writing every year. So in addition to first year legal writing and upper level experience, we're gonna to, to make them take some legal writing class in their second year. And we're starting to work as faculty to identify what legal writing opportunities we have to have more drafting classes, more hands-on practical opportunities for them in those settings. So those are things I'm really excited about. Uh, and I think, Lastly, I'd like to tell people I'm excited about going back to the future. Um, On the front door of the building, it says excellent service leadership. That was my summary of what the community was, as I considered being dean. As I looked back at our graduates since 1901, they excel at their craft, they serve their communities, and they put themselves in positions of leadership. And so that is always my challenge to potential students and at orientation to say that, For the next three years and beyond, I'm going to push you to excel, to serve and to lead because that's part of who you are. And um, sometimes it gets easy to forget to be excited about the day to day. But when I know that our students are going to go out and be in leadership positions, serve their communities, excel from the very beginning all the way through the arc of their career, that's really exciting and fun to watch.
1: It really is, um, you know. Training tomorrow's servant leaders is a real privilege, um, and we take that seriously as well. I love that excel, serve, and lead. And I imagine because of that being kind of the mission, the focus of your law school, or, or very high as far as your values go, that you draw people in who want to uh, be servant leaders.
0: Yeah, I, I really think we do, and I think you know, uh, at the peril of of doing some armchair sociology about the current cohort of students coming in the door, I think service is really significant to this generation of law students. I mean, I think a lot of them are in fact looking for ways to serve their communities, even if they go into private practice, which sometimes we don't think about as a service area, but they, they look for bar activities, they look for activities in politics and other places where they can serve. So I think talking to students about that is really significant. I enjoy having that conversation um, with students because again, being a South Dakota kid, pulling in connections is really fun. I mean, one of the most enjoyable things that we've done over the last couple of years is our university president had started a program called Women in Philanthropy to get more of our alumna back uh, and engage with the university. And she challenged all of the deans to have a signature initiative with that. Well, ours has been a speaker series where I've picked five women from each class. Uh, that was the worst part because that meant I did not pick a whole host of other women in each class who could be part wow. of this. Yeah, yeah. And, and they have um, had a chance twice a year to have some alumni of the school come back, talk about their experiences, talk about uh, their journey into service and leadership. Because one unique part about the school is we've had a really disproportionate number of female leaders go out into the judiciary and politics and business, and so it started with a really good friend of mine who was on the South Dakota Supreme Court, actually godmother to our oldest child, uh, and some of and some of her age cohort. Uh, our most recent one in the fall was some more recent graduates, folks who've graduated in the last two to ten years, uh, and the relationship between our current students and both of those groups of women has just been fascinating to watch. And you can almost see in the eyes of the current students, oh no, this is a real thing, right? Uh, Those folks were sitting where I was not so long ago. So getting our alumni back to talk to our students on concrete terms about how they can live up to those ideals is a really unique opportunity for us as a small connected school in a small connected state.
1: Wonderful. Is there anything else you want to tell us about what's on your mind for the future of USD, besides getting through the pandemic?
0: <laughs> you know, for USD specifically, when I came, we were kind of in a um, in a challenging spot on admissions and bar passage. Um, like a lot of folks in that window, of, you know, twenty ten to twenty seventeen, uh, it hit USD maybe a little bit harder and lasted a little bit longer. So, when I came in one of our key initiatives was scholarship support we had limited scholarship support when i was here our total endowment for all funds was 11 million dollars we've endowed 14 million dollars of scholarships um, in my time as dean so we really are in a spot now where we can aggressively recruit kids and make law school affordable i think that's um really significant for us um i think that's that's a major initiative for us um, is keeping our school affordable uh, for the students who come in the door.
1: Well, having the second lowest debt load in the country is incredibly impressive. And, and what a gift to your students that they don't leave with the crushing debt that, that many lost law, law graduates across the country leave with.
0: Yeah, I like to tell students that we always want to have them be able to choose where they want to put their degree to work not have to choose where they need to go to pay for their degree. I mean, if you want students to go into public service, you have to give them the financial opportunity to accept what in a lot of instances is the lower salaries that go along with that. And I think we live up to that.
1: So I end each podcast asking my guests what their predictions are for the coming decade and how legal education is going to change. And I often ask also, if there are ways you think it should change that it is not likely to change in the coming decade, please share that as well. Big smile there. I guess you have some ideas.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, one thing I think that is going to change, and we're facing this in South Dakota, we're having a conversation about alternative pathways to licensure. Um, We just actually had a bill in our legislature dealing with this. Obviously, Oregon is in its pilot project, New Hampshire, Wisconsin. I think between next-gen bar um, from NCBE and the discussion around alternative pathways, we are going to start reassessing our relationship between licensure and legal ed. I think particularly in schools like USD, where we're smaller and, and really deeply connected with our bar, I think that conversation is gonna be at the forefront. Um, I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, the discussion of next gen allows us to create a a more continuous process from admission all the way through uh, legal ed and licensure and out into practice. I I think that's great. Um, I think a lot of us are gonna wrestle with how embracing technology impacts our school. Uh, that cat is out of the bag we're, we're not getting it back in and so we're all going to have to deal with okay what do we do with zoom and online delivery and all those things and I think you know we're seeing the council start to look at whether we should expand what we make available um, and I think for some schools a lot more online is going to be what their students need and what their faculty want to do I think for some of us that's just not who we are and so Those are things I think are really going to happen. A thing that I hope will happen, that I'm skeptical will happen, is allowing law schools to look more different. I really feel like, you know, and we are the school we are, that whether it is US news or ABA accreditation, there are a lot of instances where the dominant model, you know, that comes down from Harvard, Yale, Columbia, big time state schools is perceived as the model. There's a lot of pressure on us all to replicate it. Um, It's not to cast an aspersion on those schools to say that that is not what all of us should be as schools or what we could be. And so I hope, although have some skepticism, that some of the things we've wrestled with will allow all of us as schools to kind of blossom in our own way to meet the particular needs of our geography, our student body, uh, the opportunities that present themselves based on where we are, because I think that's going to provide more opportunity for more students. Um, I think the last thing we're all going to wrestle with is as a profession, pulling more students into legal ed. There is an impending demographic, demographic cliff starting in 2025. I think we all know that. And so, us doing the work to get more young people thinking about careers in the law is going to be imperative, one, just for our sustainability, but two, for sustainability of the profession. Um, if we take anything away uh, from events from January 6th forward, it is you know, the reminder to our friends that uh but your bills come at, the first thing we do is kill all the lawyers, uh, was not because lawyers were bad, but that was the step. Towards anarchy. So I am always thankful when I talk to students to say thank you for thinking about lawyers. Uh, lawyers keep the world around us safe and progressing. And every day that world belongs a little bit more to your generation, a little bit less than mine. And so I hope all of us are thinking about making sure we are always recruiting that next generation of lawyers because um, lawyers are just vital to the future.
1: Absolutely, warriors protecting the rule of law. Right.
0: Absolutely.
1: We need to have like superhero lawyer costumes, I think. (laughs) Uh, Well, I appreciate your predictions. And um, if you don't already know Dean Lyon at Lincoln Memorial, Matt Lyon, uh, he had some similar what we should be in the coming decade. And that is, you know, more autonomy for law schools to do what it is they do best, a little more uh, differential in the model. Um, So a a like-minded soul, it sounds like. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And I've learned a lot about USD and I wish you good luck in your cold, snowy, chilly weather. Um, I know that you're handling it much better than we are during this cold snap in Texas, but uh, enjoy the rest of the winter.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Pat. It's been really a, a pleasure to be here. This has been another episode of EdUp Legal with your host, Patty Roberts. EdUp Legal is part of the EdUp Experience podcast and network, bringing you the brightest and most influential minds across higher education and beyond. Here at EdUp, we make education your business.